Winfield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. 46 up, 46 up as we move into hour two of Cofield and Company as our Reno is in with us. Nevada 46s right now against San Jose State. Must win situation, lose, and it does not look like the NCAA tournament bid is coming. Lenardi's latest update with ESPN.com, and there's lots of people who do brackets, doesn't mean it's 100%, but uh, he has the pack as the first team out, so they certainly can't lose this game against San Jose State. Uh, just down the road at Silver Sevens, our uh, home every Thursday is Willie Ramirez. He's manning the station there. I'm here at the Thomas and Mac, and we'll give you score updates of what's going on with the pack against the Spartans. Magical season. Will it continue? And by the way, San Diego State, the number one seed, barely got by into the next round. Barely. So they won in the quarters in game one of the day, Willie. A noon start, and they played sluggish, and... They played just good enough defense in key moments. Isaiah Stevens had a lot of chances to win that game, and he, he did bring CSU back, but just could not get a couple of close shots to fall. So really, really dangerous spot. And hey, it's, it's madness, right, Willie? This is what we look for. It's unpredictable. In a conference like this, you got a bunch of teams fighting for what could be only one or two more bids left, and there's not enough chairs at the end. So everyone's fighting just to freaking win and stay alive. Yeah, I need to make a call to Isaiah Stevens because uh, San Diego State winning means that I have to come out there tomorrow and cover San Diego State's game. It's all right. Wait, you don't like basketball? Come on now. Hustle and bustle. I got a lot of things going. I'm gearing up for a huge Saturday night. Uh, I'm covering the slap fighting championships. I, uh, <laughs> I know you had talked about that. We actually we were going to have a slapper on, but we just ran out of slots. Um, so... Didn't get it done this time. But you know I like it. I didn't get to watch last night's episode, so I'm not, I'm not going to even look at the final card and what's going on on Saturday. But uh, that'll be a really interesting event at the Apex. It'll also be interesting, Willie, if this power slap can actually develop to a point where they can get, you know, say 5,000 people in a building. Is it that kind of event uh, where you can get that many people? Or My guess is it's probably better suited for, like in, in Vegas's case, how many theaters do we have here that hold 3,000 or more? Right, like three thousand to six thousand, that mid-range, more of the performing arts centers. Yeah. Like the the new sphere will be too big with seventeen thousand seats to have slap. But you know, a place like the Palms, it won't be the Palms. Trust me. Um, in that case, I don't think the Dana White is going to bring. Well, I don't think Dana White. I don't uh, know if he's mended fences with the Palms, but there's yeah, always that's there's true. always something going on with Dana in different venues. But anyway, uh, you know where they could hold. They could hold it the like Orleans. Uh, I think I think it's too big. I think you need a theater. Not the arena. They have a showroom. Okay, so like It's like a theater area, yeah, that, that, that they hold uh, comics. And a lot of times some of the old school Vegas uh, from the old days, they would they would come in there. Rickles used to play there. Um, there's some, you know, but there's a they could do it there. There's a, Yeah, there's some, there's, some, there's some places around town where they could shop it and, and run. But I'll be at the Apex. I, I, my big question is what's been the bigger slap in the face? The power slap or the XFL to Vegas? Mm, all right, let's do it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents The Big Four at Four. Number four. By the way, San Jose State just ended a 6-0 run by Nevada with a three, so it's 52-51 as the under-eight timeout is coming here in just a couple seconds. So that's interesting the way you put that, Willie. Slap in the face with Vegas and the XFL. Why? Well, just... uh... That's exactly what it's probably felt like for XFL fans, those people who have been invested. Um, they lose their opener, and then they go to a game in which they were winning. Then they come home in a rain-soaked game. They lose in the second half. They play a second home game, decent crowds both times, and they lose with one minute remaining, Josh Gordon with a touchdown. It's been really nothing short of a disaster in the second half each time for the XFL Vipers and now they got to travel to DC now granted they're all in the same hub in Arlington throughout the week and then they all go to the city that they're going to play in so in a sense DC is traveling too but the problem is is DC has had one of the funnest crowds in the league our good friend Stormy Buontani she was talking about it. The lemons the one week, the, the beer snake the next with the cups. 
This is one of the best crowds, and the defenders are undefeated. I, I don't know if the Vipers are going to pull off their first win this, this year, so this week. This is interesting you mentioned this, because I, I think a lot of people outside of Vegas are seeing the, the size of the crowds, and <clears throat> they haven't been great. And they have to also understand the competition here in Vegas on some of these weekends has just been insane for the entertainment dollar. Yet in D.C. And the other thing they point to is, hey, you already have an NFL team. You shouldn't put an XFL team in the same city as an NFL team. Meanwhile, D.C. is killing it. But I think part of that is people there have grown so tired and so disillusioned with the commanders and Dan Snyder that they're like, hey, let's just get a fresh start. We just want to go see any kind of football and not be connected to the kind of the slime of Dan Snyder. So it's good to see that market kicking booty with attendance. Well, and I think St. Louis, I want to say it was St. Louis last week. They finally had their first game because there had been teams, you know, that hosted a game or played or whatever after two weeks. They finally got their first home game. I want to say it was St. Louis that was expecting 35,000 people for their home opener in the XFL. That's amazing. Well, I mean, that is that's another one of those cities that got burned by the NFL, got burned by Kroenke. Um, you know, they have a, a pro football fan base. Yeah. They didn't. Uh, the Vipers did, definitely weren't. They were up against it last week with everything that they were competing with, right? UFC, conference tournaments, basketball. You know, there was there were a lot of things going on, but still, nevertheless, there was a decent crowd. And the, and you know what? I will say this: the crowd that goes out to Cashman has been very energetic and in it for as long as they've been there. Number three, Golden Knights. Continue on the road. Another tough test. They uh, fell just short after a really slow start against the uh, Panthers. Tampa Bay is on tap here. All right, what's the latest now, Willie, with the goalie situation? Well, now Aiden Hill is banged up, and so they've had to call someone up from the Silver Knights. So guess what that means? That means that Jonathan Quick has now become the number one goaltender for the Golden Knights as of right now. Wow. You you have I mean I want you to think about this. You have here's who's on the shelf. Robin Leonard, Logan Thompson, Laurent Brossois, Aiden Hill, and now you're realistically on the fifth goaltender because Leonard still counts, right? He's still on the books in terms of LTIR. He's he's off the books, but he's he's still with the Golden Knights. Fifth goaltender in this organization. Fourth one to play for the Golden Knights this season. Well, more than that because Hutchinson's been in. So the point is, um, and you're talking about someone who, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with the move. It's just that I don't know if Jonathan Quick can be the top goaltender for the Golden Knights and sustain that role night after night after night. I mean, he's older than Marc-Andre Fleury was. And Marc-Andre Fleury, I don't know Jonathan Quick's off-ice regimen, but like Marc-Andre Fleury was a fanatic in taking care of his body and recovery, and he had it down to a science. I don't know what Jonathan Quick does, but the fact of the matter is he's older than Fleury, and uh, I don't know if he can play night after night after night for the Golden Knights, so they, they better get healthy quick in between the pipes. Number two. Anthony Richardson, one of the stars of the Combine, Willie. A monstrous dude, fast, big vert, big arm. Uh, now a lot of people have him in the running for the number one pick. Might be a stretch, but certainly to get picked in the top 15 in the draft. Did you want to compare and contrast a hometown hero with uh, AR-15? Well, I just found it interesting. I saw a tweet um, the other day. It just said, all this talk about Anthony Richardson at the NFL Combine, but isn't Dorian Thompson-Robinson just a better version? Not trying to knock Richardson, but DTR got way more on tape, and he played one actual season of quarterback in high school, which is why he stuck around so long. The one knock against Richardson, who's obviously just a specimen, an athletic specimen in what he's capable of doing with his 40, with his strength, so on and so forth, the one knock is his accuracy, whereas Dorian Thompson-Robinson has been known to throw on a dime, and he can do a lot of the same things. Um, he's, I don't think he's as muscular, but that doesn't mean that he can't put on muscle with the right training regimen. I'm just saying, for argument's sake, you put him with a guy like Deuce Gruden, right, a national champion, world champion power lifter, put him on the right nutrition plan, get him lifting the right weights from college to pro, transition his body. When we saw him at the Shrine Bowl that day, the Shrine game, um, you know, he's still, still got a, somewhat of a slender, muscular, athletic body, but he could be thicker. 
Um, I kind of get the tweet. I kind of understand it. There's no reason why you can't really compare the two. Um, he's 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 put in his time, and he he's got the accuracy that a lot of people say Richardson does not. So yeah, I like the tweet. I I respected it, definitely. Number one. Aaron Rodgers still hasn't made a decision. You know, a lot of rumors today that it's getting close to the Jets. Uh, we were told last week that the Raiders were probably out of the mix for Aaron Rodgers. I'm still a little bit confused, Willie. we have any clarity on this? Peter King went on to the Rich Eisen show and shot it down. Um, since it Mark Davis, it just he doesn't like he doesn't like the idea of throwing sixty million at Aaron Rodgers, and it's something that we've talked about right for weeks now. In that, it's probably not worth it, especially when you you would end up with a. I, I don't know what they're going to go into when when all said and done, as far as their cap issue. Um, they just received a couple of uh, extra draft picks, but the fact of the matter is, I don't know if what Rodgers is demanding could possibly fit within their cap number one number two they would have i mean obviously they would make it work but i just don't know if davis is buying into at this point i think he has an issue with the contract based off what peter king said and just overall with what this team needs to do to fix the defense and to shore things up on the offensive line um i think he's better served in investing elsewhere and getting a, a discount quarterback that he can count on long term so Willie made quite a case last hour for Lamar Jackson. So is Jackson basically the same, except that it's a long-term contract that's going to require 40 to 50-plus million dollars per year? Because I'm with you, man. Um, I think there should be a half dozen organizations that should be falling over themselves, battling to get Lamar Jackson. I don't get what's happening right now. I don't, I don't believe it's collusion. I don't believe it's a league-wide you know, correction of what most think is a bad deal with Deshaun Watson, but... Based on what we've heard, Willie, I mean, the Ravens offered $133 million guaranteed. There's no one out there who can offer him more guaranteed money in a long contract that would potentially sway Jackson, and that includes the Raiders. Why not? I don't. I, I, I wish I knew the answer. I wish that there would be more openness as to why they're not matching or what the deal is. What I don't know what people are waiting on. Um, he would be someone where, yeah, I could see Mark Davis, like, sort of go looking the other way than at Rodgers because of exactly what you said. Yes, long term. Lamar Jackson still has plenty of upside to his career. Um, you know, his his injuries, I, I don't know if he sustains the same injuries with the system that could be in place here in Las Vegas um, with the weapons that, that are already in place. Um, so... I think that Lamar Jackson could could have he he can't have any worse of a career that he's had in Baltimore. I think that he could have just as good, if not better. Um, but he would be somebody that I would rather they invest in long term than Aaron Rodgers short term, if not just go the short way out. I want to build on that line of thinking. The offense that he's been running, and if he went somewhere else, if he would be required by that team to play the same way. We're going to talk to Bill Leckis, who does NFL for SiriusXM. This hour is brought to you by our friends at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. You can call from anywhere in the state of Nevada, anywhere in the state of Nevada, for help from Justin and Matt at 766-1400. You know, it's somebody with a fresh body. Um, he's, I know he's going to be itching to get out there. I mean, if you know Keyshawn at all, he's probably even going to be hard to talk to him until the Boise game because he's going to be – you know, wanting to get out there so bad. So, like you said, though, it's a, it's another body. It's another guy that's going to go compete. It's another guy that wants to win games. So, uh, we look forward to getting him back. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Kevin Kruger talking about the return of uh, Keyshawn Gilbert, who was suspended for a headbutt, essentially two games. He'll be back today for the Run Rebels as they play here at the Thomas & Mack Mountain West Conference Tournament. They'll be facing Boise... Ooh, bubble buster potentially going on right now. Boy, this tournament's been good. Four of the five games so far have gone down to the wire. Nevada and San Jose, Willie, 224 left. They're tied at 61. The pack lose. They're probably out of the NCAA tournament. Let's uh, let's talk a little football here. 
lots of football news and certainly uh, Raiders and quarterback news around the league. And Bill Leckis has been covering the league for a long time for SiriusXM, and he gives Cofield and company a couple minutes here. What's up, Bill? Hey, what's up, guys? How we doing? We're good. Bill, remember the days, uh, say, 20-plus years ago when you worked at Sports Fan Radio Network and Vegas, the name was just mud with the NCAA, and now look at what's <laughs> happened all these years later. We have five conference tournaments here. We have a regional coming. We have a regional coming in three weeks. It's crazy uh, what uh, other sports, embracing sports gambling, has done for us. Uh, all of those barriers have been blown up. It's nuts. I mean, listen, when we were out there and when I was living there, it was kind of UNLV or Boston, and the XFL came through when I was out there as well. But to have what you're talking about, to have a professional football team out there, to have professional hockey out there, and I'll certainly be more to come with a major professional sports too. And you talked about it, the sports gambling aspect has opened a tremendous amount of doors. So it's night and day between when I was there and, and when you were out there at that time and where we are now. Bill Lekas, Sirius XM, is up with Cofield and company. So let's talk about quarterbacks. We were just discussing, Willie and I, the Raiders quarterback situation. Let's start first with Aaron Rodgers, and it seems like the Raiders kind of dropped out of the Rodgers derby last week. What are you hearing? What's the latest? I mean, I keep seeing Jets are close, but what do you think is going to happen? I think the Jets are the only team in it right now, and <laughs> so I really believe it's going to be up to him. I mean, if he's going to continue playing, and he hasn't said that yet, he hasn't said he's definitely going to continue playing, even though I believe he will. But it seems like the Jets are the only bidder that anybody knows about right now. So the Packers, have, I think by their actions, made it pretty clear that they're ready to move on and they're ready to go to Jordan Love at quarterback. And so if he wants to play for the Jets, I believe they'll say pull the trigger and the Packers are going to make that happen. That's, that's the only shooter that I'm aware of. So it's Jets or... Nobody. The other options are retirement or back to Green Bay. Let's just talk talent that you're going to be surrounded with. Not all the politics, not all the you know the stuff from the past with the Packers. Would you leave that Packer roster if you're Aaron Rodgers for the Jets roster? I I think you have to debate it at least. Listen, the Jets offensively they have some pieces that I think he would like. Uh, they the running back Reese Hall if he's healthy. They have the young and Garrett Wilson, who burst on the scene last year, and he ended up winning the offensive rookie of the year. They have a couple of tight ends. So the offensive line uh, would scare me some, and I think the Jets are going to have to do some things with that old line if they're going to bring in a 39-year-old quarterback and try to keep him upright. But I do believe it's something you'd have to think about at this point if you're Aaron Rodgers. The Jets are a talented team, and that defense is one of the better defenses in the NFL something that I don't think he's got right now in Green Bay. And the way you frame this is fascinating from the Jets' standpoint because if the Packers have made it clear they don't want him, the Jets aren't competing against anyone else, isn't this in essence a salary dump? I keep, I keep hearing all these narratives like, what are the Jets going to do? They're desperate. they got to play it smart here. If they're the only suitor, what do they really have to pay? I don't think it's going to have to be what people are talking about it being like, hey, it's going to be a first-round pick, multiple first-round picks. I think you're looking at conditional picks here. I go back, I, I tell you this, Steve, go back to what we saw, and this is some deja vu, all the way back in 2008 when the Jets acquired Brett Favre. Tampa Bay wanted Brett Favre. Minnesota wanted Brett Favre. They traded him to the Jets for a conditional third-round draft pick. Now, that, that could have turned into a first had the Jets made a Super Bowl. I think it'll be more than that, but I think it'll probably be a couple of conditional picks based on how much he plays and how long he plays if he gives them a second season. But I don't think this is going to be a mortgage, all just draft capital and things along those lines in our logic at this point. Bill Leckis is with us, talks NFL for SiriusXM, SiriusXM NFL. Let's talk Lamar Jackson. I know Willie's got a lot to say on Lamar. Um, I saw you tweet, people need to stop comparing Lamar Jackson's situation to the contract. Daniel Jones received. Why? Because it's nowhere close to what he's looking for. Daniel Jones got a deal with the Giants where people were wondering, well, why were the Giants afraid if the Ravens aren't afraid to put him in this kind of situation? Daniel Jones got he's a fully guaranteed part of that contract, $82 million. The average annual value is 40 and that's really not the important part. The important part is what's fully guaranteed, and he got 82 fully guaranteed. 
that's nowhere close to what a Lamar Jackson is going to be looking for. They're not even in the same stratosphere. Lamar Jackson, whether it's Deshaun Watson or not, let, let's say it's not. Let's say for one moment he doesn't want a fully guaranteed $230 million deal. The next one in line, and these two contracts have happened since Deshaun Watson, are Russell Wilson, who you start with $124 million guaranteed, and Kyler Murray at 103. So if you look at Wilson at 124 compared to the, the 82 Daniel Jones got, it, Daniel Jones is nowhere close to what Lamar Jackson's looking for. They're going to be on totally different planes financially when this is all said and done, whether he's in Baltimore or whether he ends up somewhere else. And as it probably should be because they're on two different levels in terms of skill set, um, I don't believe, Bill, that the Raiders – which they obviously are not anymore, it's off the table, but should be looking to invest in short-term Rodgers and should actually build for the future, build the defense, draft young, keep Stidham. But if they plan on investing big money on a quarterback, I would rather see them do it with Lamar Jackson. That Aaron Rodgers, I would agree with that. I think that would make sense for them because I think they've got work to do on some other parts. And with Lamar, I'll tell you this. And I, I tried to make it clear that I like Lamar Jackson. I think he's a highly talented player. It's not an accident that he won an MVP, but I don't want to make it sound like he's an ultra slam dunk. The, the pros are he's 26. He's obviously shown he can play at a very high level. He won an MVP. He has elite, otherworldly athleticism. But I do think you have to consider a couple of things. He doesn't fit every offense. He's been injured the last two years. He played in 24 of the last 34 possible games. He missed the playoff game this year. And statistically, the numbers haven't been quite as good the last two years. So I think it gives you a little bit of pause when you're looking at him and thinking, I've given up two first-round draft picks and then the contract on top of that. And what we really don't know is what he wants. Does he want the Sean Watson deal? Because I don't think he's going to get that anywhere. And that's the mystery of all of this negotiating that's gone back and forth with the Ravens. Speaking to Bill Leckis, Sirius FM, Sirius NFL, talking with Cofield and Company here on ESPN Las Vegas today. So, Bill, let's say the Raiders decide to skip all the shiny new toys or shiny toys that are up for grabs, and they decide to build. Um, who is the best fit in terms of bringing a young guy on can, whether it with the seventh pick, whether it's with if they move up, whether it's in the second, third, fourth round, whatever it may be, your thoughts on what the Raiders should do should if they do not go for the big guns? I think it's Stroud and Young is where I would go first, and I, I don't know if they can get to Young because I think he's one or two. So I believe someone's going to trade up with the Bears and they're going to move down and. I think Young will probably be the first guy off the board, but I do think there's a little bit of a separation between Stroud and Young and the polish they have and their ability to make an adjustment to the NFL in a hurry, and the other guys are going to take more work. I know Richardson was phenomenal at the Combine. Everyone expected him to be phenomenal at the Combine, and athletically he's off the charts, but it's going to take some time for him to adjust to the NFL style of game, and he might be better off getting for a year or more. And Levis, too, while maybe he doesn't have to sit immediately, I do believe it's going to take him some time as well to adjust. He's got to clean some things up. He's got to make sure that he's playing in a situation where he's not turning the football over, which is a problem he had at times in college. So I look at those two guys first, and then there's the split after Young and Stroud to what you're getting with Richardson and Levis. He's a regular host of uh, Late Hits, which is right up our alley here in Las Vegas with the uh, Later in the Day show on SiriusXM NFL. When are you on next, uh, Bill? I'm actually going to be on tomorrow, not Late Hits tomorrow. I'm moving the chains with Pat Kerwin, 3 to 7 Eastern time. So maybe a lot of the stuff we're talking about today we'll get some developments on uh, with Aaron Watson and some other things. And you seeing that. Look, we're 49 days away from the draft. We're... At the point where the negotiating window opens on Monday and then the league year on Wednesday. So all the wheels are turning in the NFL. Bill, always love listening. Thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate it. Hope you're doing well. Guys, my pleasure. Anytime. There he is. Bill Eckes, longtime host at Sirius XM. Yeah, Willie, I don't I don't get it, man. I, I would play the game here uh, with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. At least try to stick it to the Ravens and have them make a decision. And also force 
Lamar to make a decision here. Maybe Lamar Jackson just does not want to go back to the Ravens. And if I'm any of these teams, the Steelers, the Steelers especially, because I knew you and I have battled on the quarterback position, but just do it to stick it to them. The Steelers, the Raiders, the Jets, the Falcons, the Commanders, the Panthers. If, Willie, if the Ravens offered $133 million guaranteed and he turned it down, offer 135 and push the contract out to like 180 for four years. Let's see what happens. Let's right. go. Let's find out if Lamar really has to get, you know, 250 or $200 million guaranteed or if he's at the point now where he's like, I just don't want to work with the freaking Ravens. 766-1400 is the number for Battleborn Injury Lawyers. They bring this entire hour to you guys. Offices in Reno, Henderson, and Las Vegas. A 51 net ranking for the Lady Rebels. Just win this game, put the icing on the cake to go to the tournament. But my goodness, she can't stop missing from the corner threes. Durazo Frescas, three for three, all threes from the corner. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Back here at the Thomas and Mack Mountain West Conference quarterfinals going down for the men. You hear uh, Lady Rebels. UNLV wins the Mountain West Conference auto bid yesterday. Chris Hassel and a uh, color voice on CBS Sportsnet uh, with a call on that one. Right now here, Willie, at 72-67. By the way, Willie's over at Silver 7s. 72-67, San Jose has jumped out to a five-point lead. They just hit a three. Who hit the three? Who was that? Oh, Amari Moore. Okay, Amari Moore. Um, Five-point lead with 122 left. I mean, this is a winner-go-home time, and San Jose just made a free throw there. Boy, this is getting real scary, real scary, Willie, for the pack. We talked about it at the start, you know, because um, they, they had just gotten underway in that we have seen this since day one, opening day, right, yesterday with – Air Force forcing UNLV to overtime and San Diego State getting pushed to the brink. And this Mountain West tournament, there's always, always drama. And here we are in overtime. We brought up the word. We said it. Talked it into existence. Another Nevada-based team is in extra period. And and, and this one is a bit more costly. I don't think that uh, the only way UNLV was going to win to get into the dance was by winning the whole thing. Nevada... I think with a dominating performance all the way through, possibly getting to the championship and then maybe losing there, had a shot in getting out of Lenardi's Bractology first team out and into the dance. But this is, I even said it to you, it's, they, it, even with Boise tonight, right, you cannot have a bad performance. So if they pull this one out, they're going to have to keep winning. All right, they got a timeout now. Uh, two more free throws. I mean, it's a seven-point game now. Uh, this is going to have to be a miraculous comeback. Seven-point game. Nevada Trail, San Jose State, uh, 120 left, so 80 seconds left in the game. Uh, offbeat story that I saw, and you saw, Willie. We, you know, since the pandemic, we've had this weird culture develop between customers and servers slash workers. It's the tipping culture. And then on top of that, because I feel like we're required to tip on everything because companies don't want to pay their employees, so we have to somehow make it up. We have to make up the shortfall, which, I don't know, it's weird. We have to pay more for the food, and then we got to pay the employees because you don't want to pay them? Okay, weird. Not anti-restaurant, but it's just it's weird the way this developed. And then with these companies that deliver, uh, you know, Door, Uber, whatever, uh, all of them, right? Then you're seeing weird stories about the drivers getting all pissed off. So what was the latest one that someone wouldn't give the food to the customer? Yeah, she refused to give a man his food because he only tipped her $8 for a delivery. Was that, was the bill 100 bucks? I mean, that uh, kind of matters, right? I mean, if it was if she got nothing on the size of the bill, I mean, if it's 8 bucks on 20, is that not enough? That's plenty. It's beyond plenty. 
Um, I don't think that the amount, I don't remember that the amount was revealed. I didn't see it in the story that I sent over. Um, she was complaining about the drive. According to the customer, the drive should have only taken 15 to 20 minutes. She claimed it took 40 minutes. Oh, boy. And, and according to her, the quote, the man must not realize how far she traveled to collect the food. So it was a measly tip. I don't know what the total was because, I, like I said, the story I saw, it's not in there. This video, by the way, just went viral. Apparently, this took place a couple of, It's in 2021, but it's just now getting out. 75-69, 105 left at San Jose on the line, uh, trying to make a second here to push it to seven. We'll have an update coming back. 65 seconds left in the game, Nevada-San Jose State. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Brad Powers. Let's bring in Brad here on this Thursday. We're out at Thomas and Mac. We're tracking the Mountain West Conference tournament in the quarters. Nevada still fighting. 30 seconds left. About to be the victim of a slight upset. But the problem is down three with 30 seconds left against San Jose State. This will probably knock them out of the NCAA tournament from getting an at-large bid. Brad Powers is in with us. What's up, Brad? Hey, thanks for having me. Are you? Uh, what's your setup for this week for betting do you go as hardcore as football we got multiple screens and then you're you know you're trying to work middles and all different angles how, how seriously do you treat college basketball betting yeah it's, uh this week is as close to any week as football in, in the entire betting calendar for me i mean it's you know betting openers it, it's you know like you mentioned going for middles because lines do move significantly especially the totals uh, it's a variety of things because there's a lot of unique handicaps. Uh, you know, the, you, you mentioned one there. I mean, you know, the, the, I don't mind fading teams with short benches, you know, off overtime games, especially if they pulled upsets. So uh, there's just a variety of factors. I'll tell you what's been really good this year is playing these early start games under have been, you know, money day after day, at least this week. I know short sample size, but it makes sense. I mean, these kids don't play a lot of. Uh, 11 o'clock a.m. type uh, noon, uh, you know, the, or, you know, the, the day of the game tip-offs like they are this week. So, Brad, on Sunday, take us into your office Sunday around four o'clock because, you know, it's different. Well, like with bowl matchups, right? You can punch them in as they're, they're getting solidified over days and weeks. Here, they're they're coming rapid fire, and you're punching them into your database. You're projecting your final. Lines and then you're you're getting yourself set up for the for the lines. Take us into your office in the scramble that'll take place between about three p.m. and five p.m. Pacific. Yeah, so I mean, the, the fortunate thing is you're going to know like sixty of the teams that they're definitely in. Obviously, all the automatic conferences, but there's thirty three of them, and then the majority of the at large. So I kind of try to get a statistical profile on those teams uh, as soon as possible. And then as soon as the, the announcements are, are matched up, I look at my power ranks. I compare it to, like, a couple of the other ones that are, uh, you know, the, 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 like the Ken Palms of the world and see how that, you know, compares and uh, come up with the number as quick as possible. And then it depends on, on what book. South Point's been pretty good in the past, being one of the first books up as far as the NCAA tournament, but it seems to change each year. You brought up Ken Palm. We're speaking of Brad Powers. I want to ask your opinion on this real quick. Um, Utah – Valley had an unbelievable run in the WAC, yet they grabbed the number two seed even though they won the regular season because they have decided to use Ken Palm's criteria. Sam Houston State, which comes in a game behind and gets and finishes second, they get the number one seed in the tournament. Are you? Uh, how, your thoughts on that? Did you did you see that? Uh, I did not see that, honestly. Uh, yeah. That is actually news to me. I would say, look, I am all about gambling, using power innings and whatnot to decide tiebreakers. I mean, sooner or later it has to matter on the on the court, on the field, sort of say. So, uh, I mean, if it was breaking a tiebreaker, sure, why, why not use uh, something like that? I, I would think it's outside the box thinking you haven't seen something like that too often, but yeah. I mean, if they physically had a better record, yeah. uh, I, w- I would say that they deserved the one seed. Brad Powers with us at Brad Powers 7 up on Twitter, BradPowerSports.com. Yeah, he loves college football, but hey, there's money to be made around college basketball. Just get uh, the audience an update here. Now, 79 77 overtime, San Jose State catching five uh, before the game. They lead by two, they just have to get the ball inbounds. 
They did, and I believe the game is over. Which means, I don't know. There's actually there's a delay. I was watching a replay, so they got a timeout. Um, that's why you don't do live play-by-play in the air, right? Uh, when, you're, <laughs> when you're not down on the floor, it's a referee review. Um, well, to your point earlier, just to build on that. Uh, so overtime, so overtime short bench, right? Bouncing back the yep. next day, which actually that plays into what UNLV is doing today against Boise. They got about 26 hours of a break in between the games, but they have a short bench. They played overtime, and the line reflects it. Um, the line went from like three, three and a half to five and a half. The other thing I mentioned to open the show, Brad, and th- this would be this is why, like we always talk, you have to have kind of a network of people out there who can give you information about schools and conferences. But since we're all here, I believe the odds makers price UNLV as a slight home edge playing here at the Thomas and Mac. And I don't know that they have a slight home edge because the attendance is never really big. And also, historically, they haven't had much success in this tournament for nine years. Yeah, so a variety of factors there. So when I look at fading teams off an overtime game, obviously it depends on their bench. Fortunate for UNLV is they have a pretty deep bench. They go nine deep. I think they're close to the top 50 as far as bench minutes in college basketball. The team that's just playing San Jose State has a very short bench, meaning that they don't play a lot of guys. So I will be looking probably most likely, depending on price, fading San Jose State. As far as the home court, yeah, home court uh, for Thomas and Mack typically is right around three points. Uh, but you're right, just because of the split crowd, uh, and sometimes, <laughs> you know, believe it or not, there's actually more of the, the visiting fans there. Uh, I would say it's probably closer to UNLV getting a point, point and a half. I mean, you got to give them something for being familiar with the, the yeah. shooting backdrops and whatnot and used to playing on that court. No, I get that point. Uh, you had posted something earlier where you put up a big chart and you were talking about 40 minutes of steam. What was going on earlier today with college basketball? Oh, it's just, I mean, it's hot and heavy. I mean, <laughs> as far as, uh, you know, the people betting. So, I mean, it's, well, like 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, our time here in Vegas, and, I mean, half the board's getting steamed. So, I mean, steamed is, you know, the, you know, the, the line moving, whether it's side or total, half point, point. Uh, I mean, almost the entire board is lit up. So, uh, it just goes to show you that at least the professionals, I know all the hoopla for, for the average Joe is next Thursday and Friday. I'm here to tell you the pros, the, the, the Thursday, Friday that we love is this week's Thursday and Friday. Yep. Yeah, I think the edges are here. Um, I've done well in this tournament. I wouldn't have done well in the San Diego State-Colorado State game. I thought that San Diego State would play a, uh, a close first half and then would pull away at the end. They never pulled away, and they were laying on and a half, and they only won by three. How much do you factor, like, the, these last couple days here, um, and especially Thursday, Friday, because you're, you're going to have some bubble teams playing right now. How much do you factor in, like, tonight – uh, later today, Clemson is outside looking in. NC State is actually inside, according to Bracketology, in the tournament. Like, that's a head-to-head bubble situation. Arizona State needs some wins. they got to pull the upset tonight to probably get back on the bubble legitimately. Do you care about that stuff, about motivation? I do. Uh, not necessarily, like, you know, how do I price it? You know, I don't, I don't know how to quantify it, sort of say. Here's what I do know. The market reacts to it. So if I do want to bet on that bubble team, I think it's better to bet that team as soon as possible because I won't be the only one wanting to bet on that bubble team in a must-win. If I want to play against that bubble team, I would say wait because typically those bubble teams get overpriced, especially as you get closer to tip time because the average Joe is going to say, oh, they got to win this game. They need it like blood, and they're going to want to bet closer to tip time. So if you want to fade it, uh, go ahead and do that you know, 15, 20 minutes before tip. So let's get a little college football in here because uh, I want to talk about some spring practices that are going down and, and just finished up. But before that, I thought it was weird during the week. I saw a tweet by Adam Schefter just a couple days ago about college football, um, which I think there's something to be said about why he was interested and why he was fed this. Um, the statement was, Sarkeesian said today that sophomore Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning will compete for the team starting quarterback job. And a lot of people are like, yeah, good luck, Quinn. Yeah, uh Obviously, you know who the the fans and the overall sentiment is going to be with with, with Manning. But I, I have to I, personally, I have to physically see it. Uh, you know, the spring game obviously would be you know one of the quarterback uh, many battles that that I'm anxious to see. But I, I mean, if I was handicapping it right now, certainly I think Manning will probably get some time. Uh, and by time, I mean starting time at some point this season. 
I would still at this point favor Quinn Ewers to, to win the job game one. Let's talk about some of the spring practices uh, that have already finished up, which is kind of hard to believe that that's happened. Um, did you get anything out of them? I know there's like 50 schools going on right now, but uh, um, it was more than a few days ago. But a week ago, you mentioned Bowling Green, Hawaii, and New Mexico. Um, anything you know, of interest out of those practices? No, they didn't have a spring game, most of them. I, I got a few. I was able to watch somebody bootlegged a little bit of, of tape from Hawaii practice, so I was able to, to get a little bit of that. But, uh, no, there's not a lot of coverage at those particular schools, including my alma mater, Bowling Green. And uh, I couldn't – I tried to get my father, who's re- recently retired, I said, hey, I will pay you to go to the Bowling Green spring game to, to get me some notes and stuff, and he would not do it. It was cool. <laughs> You're trying to get every inch possible, employing the family. You trust your dad that much on his notes? Like, would you you turn around middle of the season? You're like, your notes were terrible. What'd you do? I do trust him as far as player evaluation. I would not trust oh, wow. him at all betting, but player <laughs> evaluation, I would. I love that. I love that. So, uh, what are we looking for uh, in terms of spring games coming up? Uh, anything in the next couple of weeks of, of note? I think the first one that I know is going to be televised is Missouri and not until March 18th. Believe it or not, you know me. I'm a college football guy at heart. These two weeks, it, it does legitimately take a backseat to college basketball. So I actually won't be doing too much college football for the next two weeks. Um, and we got to close on this. I know I, I think you want to tweet often about it because it's been infuriating. But, man, oh, man, I saw you mentioning Anthony Richardson about completing passes, the Josh Allen growth, you know, from a guy who was a 50% passer at Wyoming and even really poor um, in his first year in the NFL. I don't know if the organizations buy it, but the fans certainly do. Like every big guy with a cannon, now the goal is, oh, he could be Josh Allen. Yeah, so, I mean, number one, let me say this. My opinion doesn't necessarily matter, and it's totally different than if I was betting it. I, uh, now I fully expect Anthony Richardson to go in the top ten. Yeah. I particularly draft him in the top ten? No, I would not. I wouldn't even draft him in the first round. I, I just, as sooner or later, tape has to matter. And uh, he had a lot of bad tape. It wasn't just one game, it was multiple games. A guy that doesn't have very much experience to begin with, completing 53% of his passes in college football, say it out loud. I want to mention one last thing. Uh, I don't know where you stand on, you know, giving Lamar Jackson big money, uh, guaranteed money if you're another organization to steal him from the Ravens. But because, you know, people look at it and they're like, hey, he didn't finish the last couple seasons. Let's track Josh Allen the next couple of years in yeah. terms of his health and all of the running that he has done. It's funny how no one mentions that. And Josh Allen did not play well at the end of the year. Um, they've been pretty aggressive with him, using him as a running back of sorts. Definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, disappointing at the end of the year. Not only maybe the be- the physical beating there, but also lost a particular coach that really helped him in Brian Dayball, who yep. also uh, you know really helped Daniel Jones, who struggled. So maybe it was a little bit of Dable that, that helped Josh Allen as well. Brad, you're the man. Get back to winning college basketball. We'll talk to you next week, and we'll uh, get a chance to uh, break down the brackets uh, going into next weekend. Thursday games will already be going down, but when you join us on Thursday, we'll have Friday through Sunday to get into. All right, sounds good. There he is, Brad Powers, bradpowersports.com, at bradpowers7. Yeah, Willie, there's more than a few people out there who are looking at Josh Allen and going, hey, the style that he plays is also a little bit risky and he kind of lost it mentally in the second half of the season. A lot of people complained about him not checking down, not throwing the short passes, trying to throw up top way too much. So nothing is a given in the NFL when it comes to injuries and wear and tear on these quarterbacks. Final is in. Oh, boy. Sorry for the folks up north. The Pack lose in overtime, laying five, upset by San Jose State. The Tim Miles dream lives on. 81-77, San Jose State wins it. This hour is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyer, 766-1400. It's going to be a 24th straight conference win, a 23rd straight win at home, a 22nd straight win overall for the 21st ranked UNLV Lady Rebels who go back to back in the Mountain West. 
Live from the Mountain West Conference Tournament inside the Thomas and Mac. It's Cofield and Company. Yep, Lady Rebels make it. Back-to-back bids to the NCAA Tournament. Didn't mess around, Willie, with bubble talk, which, by the way, uh, nothing, you know, I'm not going to hammer on CBS Sportsnet and the announcing there, but, I mean, we were told by Linda LaRock, and I think part of it was a motivating tactic that uh, she didn't believe there was an at-large coming. So there really was no bubble talk. It was win the game, win the tournament, or you may not be in uh, because of the metrics, uh, you know, at the time of 51 in the net. Lady Rebels had to get the job done. They did. They've done it for the second straight year. They're on this incredible run in conference, 24 straight wins in conference, a 31-2 season, 21-0 this year, including the tournament in conference. Pretty special stuff. Uh, Mountain West Conference men's quarters. First session just ended, and Reno is out. They're out of the tournament. 4-5 game. Winner all set to play San Diego State. Barely a victor earlier in the day, 64-61 to against Colorado State. And Nevada late got dinged uh, for a flagrant, and Tim Miles did it again, 81-77 in San Jose is in the semifinals of the conference tournament. Something the Rebels haven't been able to do for nine years, Willie. And you talk about something really impressive from Tim Miles. And for Nevada, it has to be one of the more disappointing endings to a season in recent memory. I said for weeks that Steve Alford was my Mountain West Conference Coach of the Year. They were picked ninth. They were trucking along towards 13 or 14 wins in conference, and then they close out the season losing to last place Wyoming, blowing an eight-point lead against the runner Rebels at Lawler with two minutes left in the game. Rebels lost Keyshawn Gilbert during the game for what the refs called a headbutt. Cameron Burris, a walk-on, was playing. They lost that game, and now they've lost a third straight. I mean, the numbers just don't back them up, and I mean, I... I don't believe the blind resume thing, Willie. I think the Mountain West Conference teams have to be, have to have real nice goods on their resume to overcome power five big name schools. I, I think the Pack are in trouble. I think they're out. No, this loss did it. They're, they're, I mean, our good friend from uh, Albuquerque who's covering the Mountain West, or Jeff Grammer, summed it up. He said, San Jose State locked up an NIT bid with this win. It also locked up Nevada's NIT bid with its loss by serving it a loss. So, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that – that I mean, it, it just helps the committee. It, it solidifies things. They're, they already were struggling with what to do with this conference. And I think right now there's two teams, and as you said, Boise State's right there on the brink, depending – and I'll tell you what, Boise State's in trouble now because I don't care what anyone says, player in the postseason in, at every level – you pay attention to what else happens. You may not let it distract you, but you kind of – UNLV is going to be a little fired up because they're going to want to win on the same day that Reno gets bounced. And I think they may come in – I mean, they're, they should already be playing with, with, with flame. They should already be motivated. You shouldn't need other tactics to get you revved up. But your, your, your in-state rival losing on the same court on the same day is going to rev up. UNLV just a little bit more. So we're about 30 minutes, not even, 25 minutes away from John Sandler, Curtis Terry, taking over ESPN Las Vegas with the call of the game at 5.30. It's running Rebel warm-up, and then the game will tip a little bit after 6 o'clock. And, you know, a lot of Vegas fans have a rivalry or a healthy dislike of Leon Rice, right? (laughs) We can get into that in a couple of minutes. So uh, as Willie said, motivation, you just saw – Reno fall. You have a chance here to potentially pull the upset on Boise. This will go against what Adam Hill has been saying, and Adam just says it, thinking I'm going to get rankled, but I will not react anymore. I do not do that. You're not going to stir the pot on me, the pot stirrer. Um, you know, but he's been saying repeatedly that it's actually better for the conference if UNLV just loses out and gets the money from the conference, right? Hey, let's get these teams in. You need the teams to make the NCAA tournament and win in the tournament. Interesting note. Well, I'll say this. Interesting story written by uh, one of the San Diego State writers. Mark Ziegler has been covering the team forever for the uh, San Diego Union Tribune. He talked to some coaches and penned a story suggesting that the top teams in the Mountain West Conference, Willie, for the tournament should get buys, if not double buys. 
just like the West Coast Conference. What do you think of that? Like, what if San Diego State and, and Boise had a, a free pass to the semis? Nah, I'm not with that. And I'm not, and I'm not necessarily with that in the West Coast Conference either. I don't know what they're trying, what purpose that. You well, know, you know, you know what purpose it serves. One, they have a chance. If they have two outstanding teams, they have a chance to get both in. There's obviously, if you are avoiding a game in the tournament, that's one more game you could lose. Uh, they're also, if you think about it, when Gonzaga especially, but also St. Mary's, when they go to the NCAA tournament, if they get the bids, right? Then they arrive at the NCAA tournament not having as, as much wear and tear behind them in their conference tournament. Those two teams. And it all comes down to money. If they start winning games, that money comes in. It helps the entire conference. Those two teams were in the tournament before the, their tournament started, first of all. And you know what? In the past several years, those two teams are, are going to the tournament. They've, they've not been bubble teams. St. Mary, Randy Bennett's done a great job with St. Mary's. Um, they've both been in the top 25, and they're both deserving. I still just, you know, an automatic bid to 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 the semis in the in these conference tournaments is a, is a bit much. I don't know if I buy into that for the Mountain West, especially with the, you know, what you're seeing th- these first two days. Um, give the give the give the little guys a shot. Yeah. Earn, earn it during the regular season. Yeah. You want you want to get it. You want to get a bid. Earn it during the regular season, not the cheap way in. In, in getting a buy into the semis. Yeah, I agree. Multiple buys in this conference, which uh, I, I like the West Coast Conference. I'm not going to rip the West Coast Conference. I think it actually is deep and has balance, but uh, there's too much of a history here of potentially three and four teams making the NCAA tournament from the Mountain West, and you got to give them a chance to win some games to get you know off the bubble. Nevada couldn't get it done today, so overall the conference will be hurt from a money standpoint unless San Diego State and whoever else makes it. Might only be two teams. Uh, they have to go into the tournament and actually win some games. So, you know, we'll, we'll, go ahead. Go, go ahead. I was just say, you know why? I was just going to have poke fun. You know why else old school UNLV fans are happy today? Mm-hmm. Steve Alford yep. drilled a shot in 1987 in the Final Four against who? UNLV running Rebels. That was the Mark Wade, Freddie Banks, L. Hud, Armand Gilliam team. And Indiana went on to win the national championship yeah. with Steve Alford, Bobby Knight. <laughs> Dislike dies hard. Steve mm. Alford also, uh, I'm sure folks enjoy watching Bobby Hurley struggle to get into the tournament every year at Arizona State. You know, uh, it's, it's funny. You never, you never forget those villains. No, and you know what's funny is it, 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 I get it, the magnitude of that, that – that 91 Final Four team, I get it. Undefeated, the 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 love and the passion that UNLV had just, it wasn't just Las Vegas. There was a nation that fell in love with that team because it start, it sort of, you know, introduced Showtime Lakers-style basketball to college basketball. But it, I find it funny that, that there's a lost disdain for either Alford or Indiana in the city of Las Vegas because – that UNLV team was on the – but that was that was a damn good team. There was a lot of clamor, not the second UNLV team with Larry Johnson, but the first one that actually won it, whether or not – there's always been the question, could that team beat the 87 Final Four team? So um, the way that Alfred and the Hoosiers handed them loss, you don't see that same disdain. Willie Ramirez over at Silver Sevens. Make sure you stop on by before Willie's out of there. He's got some – Tickets, of course, right now the uh, Golden Knights are playing. So during all Golden Knights games, 77 cent beers, Bud, Bud Light, Mick Ultra. One to one, Golden Knights, Lightning. We are about five minutes into the second period. Playing the three-time Eastern Conference defending champs. Again, tied at one. And, of course, you can hear that on our sister station at 98.9. Or you could stay right here with us after us. Sandler, Curtis, take it over to usher you into UNLV basketball. Let's talk Lady Rebels and what they did yesterday and what they've done on the season and now the goals from here. Um, first of all, I really enjoyed this tournament run and I really enjoyed the the win last night. Um, you know, it's weird, Willie. The coaches in this conference actually did Lindy LaRock a real solid without realizing they were doing it because when they handed out Mountain West Conference honors, and Desiree Young <laughs> exceeded 
almost every number and metric from a year ago, was a dominant player on a team that went 18-0 in conference, and they didn't give Desiree Young the player of the year. You've got a team that has done everything. And the only, really, the only thing that could have happened in this tournament, aside from you know winning the whole freaking thing, is having a little bit of a letdown or a loss of focus and not winning it. They were so dialed in, and I think a lot of it was they were pissed as a group that Desiree Young did not get player of the year over uh, McKenna Hofschild. And Desi especially, holy crap. Last night, bull in a china closet. Just vicious. I love the uh, post-game interview, Megan McCune with Lindy LaRock, and she asked about Desi Ray, and Lindy goes, well, you know, she is the player of the year in the Mountain West Conference. Something to that effect. I mean, it was fantastic making her point. Uh, but you're right. It, it fueled the fire. These are ladies with a newfound mindset in how to win. They have been taught how to win, to oh, how to overcome adversity. And one of those players coming from someone like Karen White's, that being Justice Etheridge, with that centennial blue blood, um, it's just, I mean, it's impressive to watch when they – when they're up against it, when it, games are within, you know, a bucket or two, and then watch them just immediately take over. The defensive stand that they put up late in the game, there was a there was a there was a there was a sequence in which they just stood their ground in every I mean, they're trying to move around and she just I mean it was it was wild because the um I can't even think off the top of my head, but the person on offense, she could not move. She could not move. She, the, the defense was just glued to her, but not one body part was touching. I mean, it was to perfection, and the ball goes in the opposite direction, and they just went on this run, and they couldn't be stopped. And it is that that will to win. You know what else that I was impressed with, Steve, that I've been watching in a closely? What this team does differently under Lindy LaRock, they know what they're going to do before they even stop the opponent. The second that the, if if it's if it's Essence Booker on a defensive stop, everybody knows what they're going to do ahead of time. If it's Desi Ray, if it's jo- whoever it is that's making the stop, they already are prepared and know what they're going to do. They come, they move prepared mentally in what they're going to do next, and that is the sign of a team that is ready to go to the NC2A tournament. And let's not forget that they went into Arizona's home court last year and almost won that opening round game against the Wildcats, who were coming off a trip to the national championship. So before the game yesterday, and they wound up winning 71-60, they get the auto bid for the second straight year, they win the conference title. after the semifinals victory, it was interesting. Jay Thomas, who's working to get in the media, she's a former yep. Lady Rebel. She asked a question of Lindy LaRock and asked her about, hey, what's the identity of the team? And Lindy talked about, hey, we want to go inside and play everything off of Desiree Young. We are a, you know, an inside-out team, and you see it when they play. So last night was basically a mirror image. Wyoming has a player in Allison Fertig who's pushing 6'4", probably 6'3 and a half, and, oh, I don't know. I don't know her weight officially, but I would guess she has probably 40 pounds. This is not a dig on her. She's a big, strong lady. Probably 40 pounds on Desi Ray Young. And listen to Desi after going 28 and 17, 28 points and 17 rebounds, and she beat Fertig every way you could, whether it was with speed, busting her off the dribble to the left, or she went toe-to-toe power-wise with Wyoming's big. I'm telling you, and this, this lady is big for the Cowgirls. Uh, listen to the confidence and the lack of filter here from Desiree Young talking about the plan going in. I mean, to be honest, that's what I was thinking the whole time is if we get her vulnerable, we can attack fast. You know, no one can stop me and you when we do the pick and roll. You know, that two-man game. I mean, I think we did a phenomenal job just, you know, going at her the whole game. I love to hear that. When Big is like, we're, we were going to go at her and get her out of the game. And then talking about Fertig uh, and that inside game and the power game and the kind of bigs, that Lindy's working with. Here's LaRock talking about the power game. Um, I think we're able to do a good job on, on Fertig on both ends because we make her guard in the post too, um, you know, which you know only a handful of teams do in our league. And so, you know, she's a great young player. She's going to continue to get better, unfortunately. But, um, you know, it's 
when you have to challenge someone defensively and and then you know be able to challenge them offensively, it takes a lot of energy. Um, you know, and I thought obviously three games in three days, maybe she got a little tired. Um, but it, you know, it's 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 brutal down there in the post. That, that physical play, um, you know, it, that's Desi playing 37 minutes uh, and to be the has productive. She is in great shape. Great shape. I love the end of that cut. Great shape. And yeah. I'm telling you, Willie, I was at that end of the floor. Right. Let me build on this. Mm -hmm. Um, When you watch inside players go at it, I'm telling you, there are moments where there are just some inside players, because everyone's got bigs. There are just some inside players who play with an energy that is scary on the floor. And I probably overused it a bunch of times early in the year, but I talked about Desiree Young wearing the knee pads, and she goes hard, and she'll throw herself to the floor. She doesn't mind banging bodies. And that can be scary. Like, I'll compare, there's a guy, you know, San Diego State plays that way too. Um, But there's a guy on San Diego State, right? They have a lot of bigs. Um, Jadon Lee, right? Or, I'm sorry, Luddy, right? Luddy. He is, and it's more of a size thing, but he plays, he's so big that it just comes natural to him. He's 6'9", like 256, and it it gets a little rough in there. It gets scary. And I'm telling you, Willie, she was giving up 40 pounds last night, Desiree Young. And there were a couple times where Fertig, where they, she would, Desiree would come down to set position. Bang, bang, bang to back her up. And Fertig's like looking around like, is this really happening right now to me? Like almost a little bit scared. Like that's how physical Desiree Young is. And then with, with all the banging and, and just basically sending a message, I don't care how big you are. I will knock you around. Then she also set her up because she would reverse pivot around nine feet pump fake and then go to the left and she beat her left probably four times and Fertig just isn't fast enough so I'm telling you folks watch the NCAA tournament uh, Desiree is going to be back next year and maybe the year after for the Lady Rebels she is one of the most fun players I've watched male or female because her aggression scares the hell out of some of the opposition did you see where were you there was the play I believe it was a tinier guard I can't remember her name but they were tugging for the ball, and as she was falling, but she, it was on the Wyoming's player. She pulled her. Yeah. She was there wrestling for it. As she's falling, she pulled her, and the weight all came with her, and she landed horizontal, feet off the ground, bam, on top of Wyoming's, on her head. And uh, both Chris Howell and Megan McCune, they were like, Oh my gosh! Because 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 they were worried about a concussion. It was hard. I mean, she went down hard, but the girl pulled her down on her. But you're right, and because you said you don't care how. You know what? It's not a matter of Desiree that she doesn't care how big you are if you're bigger than her. No, guess what? If you are challenging her, yep. I don't care if you're 30 pounds lighter or 20 pounds heavier or two inches taller or you're a small point guard. You come up against me, you're gonna feel this. Yeah, she wants to break the opposition, and I thought uh, that Fertig, there was a moment where she was like, I don't, I don't want any more of this. And I, you know, I've seen it happen, man. I've seen it happen. You know, I'll give you a good example. Um, Simeon Rice's kid, you know, Simeon Rice is 6'5", 260, played in the NFL. His son, Jordan Caroline, when he got to Reno from Southern Illinois, and he was an inside player at 6'4", and 230 pounds, and quick leaper. Like quicker than anyone else on the floor, but it was just the reckless abandon that you played with. At some point, you're like, dude, I'm tired of getting elbowed and getting hit in the face by you and getting knocked around. Like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And there were some players who just succumbed to that aggression of players like Caroline and Desiree Young. It's it's that that to me that's a you know there's a lot of cool things and fun things about basketball. So yeah, Lady Rebels this Sunday, Willie, they're going to have a big watch party in the Strip View Pavilion right here at uh, Cox or um, right here at Thomas and Mac. Uh, so they'll reveal the brackets. The ladies will be there for meet and greet. Lindy LaRock, they'll do media stuff. It was pretty crowded last year, and I expect a lot more people to be there this time around. All right, Rebels coming up in 11 minutes. At least the pregame is running Rebel warm-up with John and Curtis. Willie, this is a fascinating game from a strategy standpoint for Kevin Kruger. Because I know, I, know, I, I know four guys who are going to play a bunch. And then beyond that, I have no idea. I have no idea. Keyshawn Gilbert's back right after serving the suspension. He's going to be hot as a pistol. You know, he's going to be ready to go. But then he's got to keep it under control because when Keyshawn plays out of control, he can be detrimental, right? And you need him on the floor certainly for defense. 
and he provides something on offense, creating his own shot, getting downhill. They need him out there. Behind him, Jordan McCabe, the last two games, Willie, mm. has only played 15 or 16 minutes, and he got pulled in the last two games because Kevin Kruger came into the press conference about three games ago, and he, he rarely gets um, real, uh, I'll say illustrative, it's not the right word, with his language. He usually keeps it together, and he – he blurted out, he's like, we ha- we must dribble the ball more than any team in the country. And then he kind of backed down from it. But he does not want over-dribbling and dribbling into the defense. Harkless can do it because Harkless finishes and draws fouls. But everyone else, he doesn't want the over-dribbling, and that has been one of the problems with the guards, over-dribbling. So whoever plays offense and moves the freaking ball is going to play tonight against Boise. Yeah, the, the the thing with Harkless, I mean, he was the Mountain West second leading scorer, 19.1 per game, points per game. First two meetings against the 28th best scoring defense in the late in the nation. He had 12 points in a 18 point loss on January 11th. He finished with 14 points in a four point loss in Boise back on February 19th. So, I, I think this defense is the biggest thing. You, you like we talked about earlier Boise State they're looking at this game quad I believe quad it'll be a quad two game but it's on it's being considered and I remember where I saw it I said this earlier the Idaho statement statesman had posted this they had uh, uh, they spoke to a Boise State spokesperson it's officially counting as a road game for the Broncos tonight and they're the defending tournament champs let's not forget about that yep. so there's there there's a lot of pride in this one as well and now that Nevada got bounced and the and the chatter of them being bounced the pressure is also going to be on Boise State they're going to be feeling it that they have to perform in order to continue to enhance their resume for the selection committee on Sunday. This is just as an important game for Boise oh, yeah. State, obviously, as it is for UNLV. Yep. That defense is what UNLV, Kevin Kruger, the boys have to worry about more than anything because Boise State's defense can be suffocating. Yep. You dribble into the teeth of the uh, Boise defense, it's just like San Diego State. You're not going to have success. The other thing is I, Harkless has to stay hot, um, and others have to help him out. Uh, Luis Rodriguez, if he gets his outside shot going, could be a really big help. He's had back-to-back double-doubles, and he's had a lot of key rebounds and, and tip-ins and steals and fast break points. I think they got to put some pressure defensively on Marcus Shaver and Max Rice. Yeah, Leon Rice's son has been super dangerous. This is not a deep Boise team at all. So, man, it would be wonderful to get – those guys under some pressure and get them into a little bit of foul trouble, get them off the floor, try to limit their minutes. And then the big matchup of the game, Willie, is probably Shane Noel against Tyson Degenhardt. Degenhardt, really everything goes through him. He's a great post player at 6'7 and 240, and Shane Noel shut him down pretty effectively up there. If he can push him away from the basket and play good D and not get in foul trouble, Shane could be a really big key in this game. More of Rebels preview coming up in less than six minutes. Thanks, Willie. Thanks for manning the uh, station over at Silver 7s. John and Curtis are on the way, running Rebel warm-up. UNLV taking on Boise, trying to pull off the upset. Get to the semis. Come on.